open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. We thought we had a quiet place to record, but we got a little bit of noise. Sorry about that. Anyways, on to the interview. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We're in for a tremendous interview. We have uh, Perry Ann Boring. She's president of the uh, Chamber of Digital Commerce in Washington, D.C. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Perry Ann. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so first, uh, like, where can we find this Chamber of Digital Commerce on the Internet? And what's the mission? Like, What are you guys all about? Uh, well, our website is digitalchamber.org, uh, but the mission of the Chamber of Digital Commerce is to promote the acceptance and use of digital currencies and digital assets. Uh, so we have a three-pronged approach of how we do that, um, starting with uh, government affairs, moving to public affairs, and uh, third-party coalition building. So what type of industry support do you have? so far? We launched this organization in July of 2014. And since launching, we've had a tremendous amount of industry support. We're actually formed by the industry. There was a huge demand to have formal representation in Washington, D.C. Uh, until this year, the this industry did not have anybody advocating on their behalf with public policymakers. Um, and since launching, we've uh, gained attention of several venture capitalists and international uh, partners as well. We have a handful of Bitcoin household names behind us, including Overstock. Uh, we're still um, in our infancy and we're growing, uh, but there is a lot of support, demand, and energy towards uh, our initiatives. Yeah, and I think I think that's important to understand. Like Overstock, they're a publicly traded company. They're doing like fifteen thousand dollars a day of sales in Bitcoin. They're thinking that it's going to ramp up to over a million dollars a month on average, uh, and they they are able to take payments all over the world. So they, they're now able to service markets that Amazon can't. And so is Amazon just going to see the entire market and let Overstock run away with it? I doubt it. So we're, I think we're going to see uh, Bitcoin become much more prominent with the merchant adoptance and you know being, being able to talk with the regulators, being able to help them understand the technology, that's a very important function. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, otherwise we just, you know, if there's no dialogue at all, then it could be very misunderstood. Right now, the, we are a nonprofit organization. We're a five hundred one c six, and um, so which is very different than a lobbying organization. And some people have kind of penned us as being lobbyists. Well, we do have a government affairs office, and we do lobby, but that's just one aspect of what we do. Uh, so I mentioned in that three pronged approach, we also do a third party coalition building. And Overstock is the best example of this. They're a company. They're not necessarily a, a Bitcoin company, uh, but they're operating in this space, and then. They 
they are lending credibility to our industry by coming out in the public and explaining how this technology is benefiting their business, how it's growing their business, how it's benefiting their community. Uh, so we're looking to recruit more overstocks, and we want to bring these people to Capitol Hill uh, and to public policymakers and to uh, lend their voice and their support for Bitcoin. And why this is different from lobbying, because anybody can hire a lobbyist to go out and advocate on their behalf. Um, there's a multitude of them. Um, and also a lobbying firm, they specialize in, in, in that uh, function. Uh, so one of the issues that I uh, w- was able to foresee very early was uh, this is a dis- very disruptive technology. We affect a lot of different industries. Uh, so it's important that we protect this industry uh, from conflicts of interest. And a lot of lobbying firms, they represent 20, 30, 40 plus clients. So if we were to hire a prestige lobbying firm to represent Bitcoin, more than likely in their portfolio, they'll represent an Amex or a MasterCard or one of these other industries that were slowly disrupting. Uh, so you have to think about how effective these lobbyists could ever possibly be. And I used to work for uh, a member of the Financial Services Committee as an economic analyst. So my job was to meet with all the lobbyists. <laughs> so I've seen this game over and over again. And that's why we decided to form the Chamber of Digital Commerce as a nonprofit. That's not just lobbying, but doing other activities such as third-party coalition building to build that credibility and legitimacy. Anyone can hire a lobbyist, but not anybody can uh, get a trade association to back you or to get a third party to come and advocate on your behalf. That takes real passion, dedication, and belief. And that's something you can't pay for. Yeah. And I mean, MasterCard, they got five full-time lobbyists uh, against Bitcoin on the Hill, from what I understand, or something like that. They hired the firm Peck, Madigan, and Jones, and I've contacted them and I've tried to figure out what the dialogue is and they wouldn't tell me. So I went to the Hill and asked uh, some friends on the Hill what they're saying. Um, And that's just the point is uh, the Bitcoin industry is a little bit behind in DC because we already have our adversaries that are hiring Bitcoin lobbyists. So the first Bitcoin lobbyists were hired by other industries. So that again showed the need to have formal representation in Washington. We need to have control of this dialogue. If we don't, uh, different industries will shape it for us. So, uh, we have um, you know, uh, some regulators on our, our former regulators on our board of advisors, and they always remind us that policy is happening, and we can either choose to be a part of this discussion and help shape it, or it can be shaped around us. And as investors, um, that, you know, the investors that I talk to, they're not afraid of regulation; they're afraid of uncertainty. And when we're engaging in the dialogue, and we can help shape where regulation is going to go, we can have a better understanding of where the market is moving. Yeah. And the, and so you talk to, I mean, you talk to everybody across the board, it sounds like. You talk to D.C., you talk to states, uh, you talk to companies, you talk to uh, lawmakers. You, I mean, you pretty much talk to, to everybody that, that needs to understand like at what this blockchain technology is. Right. And Sometimes our greatest strengths can be our greatest weaknesses, and having a decentralized technology is something that I appreciate. But when it comes to uh, 
protocol and procedures in Washington, it is important to have a, a central organization that's filtering the information going through. Uh, so getting the industry to come together and work through these very difficult public policy issues has been a challenge because there's no Bitcoin headquarters, nobody owns it. Uh, so we're we are providing a platform to have those conversations and those dialogues and to bring the community together and then be able to go to public policymakers uh, as an industry and uh, and work through these issues together. Yeah, and I mean, if you thought hurting cats was bad, like hurting honey badgers is even worse, <laughs> right? Because they just all want to do their own thing and they're all highly intelligent. And so they think mm-hmm. what they're doing is the right thing to be doing. And they're, they're, I think there can be reasonable uh, differences of opinion on how to approach stuff. And so uh, we get a lot of contention within the Bitcoin community itself, right. especially when we're looking at uh, like the uh, changes to the to to code that we're trying to do or things like that. And um, everyone has their own idea of what regulation should or shouldn't look like. So it's extremely important that we have input from as many people as possible because the hedge fund community has one message. Uh, Consumers have another message. Um, exchanges have other concerns. Uh, wallets are, you know, have their own debate. Um, software providers are looking at this from a, t- a whole different set of lenses. So it's extremely important that we have as many people as possible engaging in these types of initiatives to make sure that everyone's voice is heard, everyone's concerns are brought to the table and thought out in a deliberate way. Yeah, and so at the time that we're doing this interview, we've we've had Texas come out with. Uh, they're the way they want to treat it regulatorily. Then we've got the bit license in New York. And interestingly, we have Kansas deciding to follow Texas mm-hmm. instead of following New York's lead. And then we've also got Singapore, the Netherlands, uh, the Isle of Man, Jersey, the UK. Uh, we've got a lot of other international jurisdictions, Germany, Denmark, that have all come out with different ways that they want to approach uh, Bitcoin. And when we look at this just from the U.S., we've got the states, we've got the federal, and then we've got this international, we've got this just massive framework of regulation that we're going to have to navigate through. And the bit license, for example, that could impact industries that weren't necessarily even intended to be impacted, mm-hmm. right? Because it could be potentially overbroad. Can you can you speak a little bit to that, how the regulation that's being crafted uh, around Bitcoin could potentially impact other industries that might not have even thought that they would get uh, roped in by this? Right, so uh, New York Department of Financial Services has proposed bit license, and currently today um, we've only seen their first proposal, and we spoke with Ben Lasky Uh, last night and apparently there's a second proposal coming out so there'll be some updates but it was written with a very broad brush and um, the community at large is calling for a technology specific legislation that is much more narrow in scope and that's something we could be more supportive of but in its current form it loops in everybody so anybody that is operating in this space now has to apply for a bit license Uh, but our attorneys have interpreted this that it could also include virtual gaming uh, which is an industry that operates in a virtual world, um, but sometimes the can, line. Can you give an example of a company that might be affected by something like that? Uh, well, like w- World of Warcraft and uh, the virtual tokens that are exchanged on those games uh, are oftentimes sold on third-party exchanges for uh, government money and you know, fiat money, other currencies, uh, and so those exchanges, which are a multi-million-dollar business. 
um, have been targeted as being affected by this legislation as well. So, 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 so you're saying that, like, if I if I were to give you a, a sword or a shield in World of Warcraft that had value, that could be potentially uh, money transmission and get roped into some of this bit license uh, framework. It's just pot. because it's so overly broad and, and very vague in a lot of cases. It's possible that a lot of these virtual gaming companies uh, in this industry will be subject to um, the bit license proposal. Yeah, so it's important for them to understand, like, hey, look, they're trying to make rules that apply to technology when they don't necessarily even understand or appreciate the technology itself. And uh, and so, it, yeah, it could be very difficult. We need to have kind of an education uh, source out there for, for these regulators to learn from. Well, I think education needs to happen on both sides. So... Regulators are going to regulate, and um, there's no changing that. So we need to make sure that they're receiving fair and accurate information about the industry. Uh, Up until this year, this digital currency industry did not have formal representation on a public policy stage. So who do regulators call to come in and talk to about Bitcoin? Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's a complicated subject. I mean, it's been created by people with PhDs and distributed mm-hmm. computing and math and uh, physics. I mean, it's very complicated technology and like there's no, there's nobody. Well, if you Google Bitcoin, Oh yeah. Right. Good. So if you're, if you so just imagine if you're a federal worker, you, you, and you've been tasked with coming up with regulation over this Bitcoin industry or doing some research on it. So where do you begin? Well, you'll probably just Google Bitcoin. Oh, then you'll learn about Mount Gox. <laughs> right. So what comes up? Right. So who do you call to come in and talk about? Well, now with the formation of the chamber of digital commerce, we're a nonprofit organization we provide authoritative non-biased information on the on the industry and when i did this type of work when i worked on capitol hill we heavily relied on trade associations because they represent the industry as a whole right so if you bring in a specific company they're always going to have that bias towards their own right. company so the information you're going to get is always going to be skewed. So you always have to go back to a nonprofit trade association and say, all right, what's the deal here? Visa's saying this, MasterCard's saying that, just give me the scoop. Uh, so it's the same thing in Bitcoin, right? So you have, um, you know, exchanges are saying they want this type of regulation, but then wallet providers are saying they want that kind of regulation. So then you call, you know, the, the industry representative and say, what's the deal? Why is everybody saying this or that? And so we can kind of give an authoritative, non-biased source of information to government, which will help provide more, uh, you know, informed regulators and smarter regulation. Yeah, and and you don't go to the Ford dealership and ask their opinion on a Toyota. Um, exactly. You know, right. and and so we we see Apple Pay coming out. We've got Google Wallet, Twitters. Uh, you can now pay for stuff with tweets. Yeah, like the, the entire payments industry is just ripe for disruption. Mm-hmm. It's just ripe for change and innovation. Uh, so we really like, it's just, it's just going to really heat up because most of the regulation that currently affects payments, I mean, when was it written? Uh, well, when it comes to anti-money laundering, most of these laws stem from the Bank Secrecy Act of 1970. So this Mm -hmm. was written before the internet and it's now being imposed on a technology that solely exists in a digital form. So you can imagine the type of difficulty these companies are 
beginning to um, to have when it comes to being compliant. So not only are we doing educational pushes on the government side, but also on the industry, because there's a, a lot of companies that don't understand what laws apply to them, because there's a whole patchwork of regulation they have to navigate through. So FinCEN, who is the federal regulator of money laundering, um, they put out pretty clear guidelines for the industry as of who needs to be registered with FinCEN. Okay, great. So we have a little bit of clarity there. Um, so we're now having companies saying, well, we don't, you know, apply to FinCEN. We don't have to register as an MSB. We're good to go. We don't need a compliance program. We're not getting involved in money laundering. That's not always the case because there's a whole nother set of laws that these companies might not realize are out there. Not only do you have the Bank Secrecy Act and you have the FinCEN regulations, but you also have the federal criminal statutes and those apply to everybody no matter what. So unless you're well-versed in regulatory compliance, which I'm assuming the average technology startup probably doesn't have a type of expertise because it's outside of what they do, they might not know uh, that there's other laws that they need to be aware of. So um, the the director of FinCEN, Jennifer Calvary, gave a very intuitive interview with Coindesk recently where she said that as she foreshadowed there's more than likely more enforcement actions coming down the pipeline. So we've seen uh, the Department of Justice and FinCEN get very active around uh, the whole Silk Road case. Uh, but in our discussions with the uh, U.S. Attorney General's office, there's more coming down the line. And our concern is that they're going to, this uh, you know crackdown is going to happen on companies who are trying to be good actors, but they just don't understand how to navigate the regulatory framework. So we're also trying to be a resource to the industry to help explain um, these laws that are being imposed on our industry so we don't have this type of you know, continuous negative press uh, you know, happening in our industry and making sure everybody is compliant and operating within the scope that they intend to. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, people who've used Bitcoin in uh, these these more nefarious ways. I mean, we're finding like law enforcement's got tools that they can track a lot of stuff with. You know, Silk Road. Absolutely. The trials next. <laughs> the trials in November of 2014. Uh, we've got. Uh, Charlie Shrem has already pled guilty. Uh, he was a compliance officer for one of these Bitcoin exchange type mm-hmm. sites. Uh, so, yeah, they can definitely do the enforcement actions. Now, what's interesting about this is when the Internet first came out, uh, the Congress decided to have the Communications and Decency Act, which removed a lot of the uh, potential for liability from third-party uh, operators. So you could have, like, it, it provided a regulatory framework where we could have companies like Facebook and YouTube and uh, Yahoo and a lot, you know, our, our big tech giants that have largely created most of the new jobs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few days ago, I was... Uh, on a panel at the British consulate in New York City. And it's very interesting. They're actually like targeting the, the, the Bitcoin startups and trying to get them to move from the U.S. to the U.K., you know, because then they can create all the jobs there. They can like they're really trying to go after this industry. And they, and they hosted our Bitcoin event and there were hundreds of people there. And how important do you think it is for the U.S. to to get it right, to not just be cracking down on the industry and the bad actors, but to actually like try and get it right so that the innovation can remain in the U.S.? 
so that the next Facebook, so that the next Google isn't created in in Hong Kong or Singapore or or Amsterdam, but instead is created in San Francisco or New York City. Right. I mean, it is extremely important that U.S. regulators understand the importance of this technology and that we're looking at this in a deliberate way. Um, not to say if New York gets it wrong or if the United States gets it wrong, it's not going to kill Bitcoin. Bitcoin will go overseas, and it, I, I, you know, I'm confident this technology will continue to thrive. But if you, um, the CoinDesk's uh, Q3 State of Bitcoin report uh, recently came out, and you, they, they track uh, VC funds into this industry, and at least 90% of the $317 million of VC money that has been brought into the space in the past 12 months is from the U.S., so the investment community in the U.S. is extremely you know, important here and a player at the table. Uh, and uh, I'm sure some of these companies are overseas, but if you're living in the United States and you personally have to you know, abide by these laws, I'm sure you want your investments to reside here. Um, so it is kind of frightening because if the United States crowds out this space with uh, unfavorable regulation, would that jeopardize the investment that's moving into this space? Um, we can't. We, we need the investment right now. Bitcoin is in its absolute infancy, and it, it's going to take serious investment to build up the infrastructure that's going to bring this technology to nations around the world that could really benefit from it. Well, well and this isn't just. I mean, these are these are the the absolute like these are the A plus VCs like Andreessen Horowitz. Right. Uh, Mark Andreessen programmed the first web browser. He runs $4.2 billion in Andreessen Horowitz. He said that there's the personal computer, the Internet, and there's Bitcoin. Those are the three major technological uh, innovations. Mm-hmm. And Andreessen Horowitz, they funded companies that comprise, what, 85% of the NASDAQ's market cap, something like that. I mean, when, so when it comes to the heart of the technological innovation, uh, Andreessen Horowitz they're right there in the center of it. Then we've got Index Ventures, we've got RR&E, uh, we've got a lot of the major venture capitalists that are very interested in Bitcoin. And I find it interesting that the largest round went to Blockchain.info, located in the UK. Okay. <laughs> you know, right. and so like the venture capitalists, they they want to to fund the U.S. companies, but they've they've shown that they're more than willing to fund the companies in the U.K. And with the payment wars heating up, you know, Apple Pay and Twitter like getting into payments and Facebook getting into payments, and then and then we see the geopolitical significance of this. Mm-hmm. Like Putin just told Visa and Mastercard about a month ago that they had to deposit four billion dollars or they had to leave Russia. And there are 100 million accounts in Russia. And so when Visa and MasterCard have insight into all the economic activity going on in Russia, and they're able to feed that data and information to our intelligence services, we begin to have very strong geopolitical implications. If you can take Visa and MasterCard out of Russia and replace it with China's union pay, then all of a sudden the U.S. loses a lot of their of their intelligence on what's actually happening on the ground in Russia uh, or other nations around the world. So, like, do you think any of our regulators or lawmakers down there uh, even have in mind the the implications uh, geopolitically and to national security 
when it comes to adopting this uh, new innovation, this new technological advance. I think so, and we're getting involved with the uh, this community as well. They're extremely interested in this technology, and they've called us in multiple times to work with them. Um, but Washington is only going to take us as serious as we take ourselves uh, in order to really... Um, set a a strong framework uh, with the regulatory community, you have to deploy real resources. Every industry in the world has serious resources in Washington. We're the underdogs here. And these VCs, I mean, these VCs that you just mentioned, they understand this and they're deploying resources in D.C. They're funding us. They're funding other organizations. It's extremely important that we invest in this part of the industry as well. And I know uh, many of these businesses are technology startups and they're not, I guess, used to being involved in regulatory affairs, uh, but the implications it can have is worldwide, and it's extremely important that we don't oversee this as um, something that's insignificant, because it absolutely will have a lasting effect on the direction and the scope of this industry. Yeah, and and perhaps the nation in general. Like, if the U.S. had not uh, laid the groundwork for the internet, then we wouldn't be the the leader in the internet like we are, and and all the accompanying benefits that come from that. So, is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, round up the interview? Well, I think this work has been for me has been uh, very rewarding. I uh, was working on the hill, and I was also working in the media industry, and. After spending a significant amount of time doing a lot of research on Bitcoin, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. Um, I recognized this was a generational opportunity to really get involved with something extremely special. Uh, I quit everything I was doing and devoted myself full time to being a part of this industry. And I've taken all my talents from working in public policy to working with the media and form this organization, the Chamber of Digital Commerce. So we are a service to the industry. Uh, We're also serving government, uh, but our mission is to promote and protect this industry, uh, and we're very excited to be a part of it. Nice. Well, I I know I was uh, definitely an advocate, and I I like the idea of the the Chamber when it was uh, just an idea, and I, I was a very strong supporter of you personally uh, being involved in that chamber. So uh, keep up the great work and and help educate our regulators, our lawmakers, our uh, investors out there, the large institutional investors. They'll have somebody to turn to to get some unbiased uh, like work or objective uh, opinions on the, the industry and the technology. And I think it's just great in general. So we've had uh, Perry Ann Boring from the Chamber of Digital Commerce, and thanks so much. Thank you. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. 
Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. 